We're in the book of James, and we will be there to July the 28th. If you have your Bible, would you open it to the book of James? There are Bibles by our exits here. If you want to jump up, don't be shy, and grab a Bible, please, and you can be able to follow along. If you have one of the Bibles with the black covers, it's on page 847. Our reading starts, and we start in the second chapter of the book of James. And what we have learned in the last two weeks, and... and um, apologize for this voice i yelled at 85 little munchkins this week and the voice can only take care of two somebody says how do, how do you how do you get control of all those kids i said well you yell at them a lot and you're very mean and pastor diane couldn't believe how mean i was to some of them but uh if you don't get control of them they will get control of you very quickly and so um uh i apologize that my voice is a little difficult Uh, more difficult than usual to listen to. We have been in the book of James, and we've been trying to say that unlike the Apostle Paul when he writes in Romans and 1 and 2 Corinthians and Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, and 1 and 2 Timothy, and so on, when Paul writes, he, he explains the gospel. He teaches the gospel. He tears the gospel apart and, and, and just shows it for what it is, and he tears it inside out, and he's really teaching us the gospel. And, of course, the gospel is, there's two parts to the gospel. The word gospel means good news, but there's no reason for any good news unless you really need good news. And you can really be excited about good news if there is bad news. Because when I hear bad news, I'm just dying for the good news. And there's a bad news part of the gospel, too. And the bad news part of the gospel is there is nothing I can do to save myself. There is no unrighteous, no not one. There is no amount of money I can give. There is no amount of smoozing that I can do. There is no amount of people that I can meet. There is no amount of water that I can get baptized in. Only, only can be able to do what Christ has done for me. And so when I realize there's nothing I can do, that by Romans 3, that no works of the law, that no man will be justified, that's bad news, man. I can't do nothing about it. There's nothing I can do. And so God gives a glorious good news and says, God has done something for you. And he tells us about that by giving his, first, his son, Jesus Christ. So the gospel is good news, but it makes no sense unless there is bad news. And there's a whole lot of people, as I've told you many times, that don't understand the bad news, so they don't embrace the good news. And you've got to talk about the bad news and make the bad news real Then you'll run to the good news if you truly believe the bad news. But most people don't believe the bad news. Most people think that they can get to God because they're better than you are. And they're trying hard to be better than you. Well, I'm I'm, I'm as good as she is, and she goes to church, and I... Paul explains the gospel and says, only through Christ, and it's by grace you are saved. Now, what James does, he assumes the gospel. He assumes the gospel. He doesn't teach it. He doesn't talk about it. He doesn't break it open. He doesn't take it with a magnifying glass and look through it. He assumes the gospel. And his contribution to the word of God is, he says, now that you are a gospel-believing people, this is how you should live. Now that you have faith, this is how you should live. Now that you believe the gospel, this is how you should live. There's no contradiction between the Apostle Paul and his teachings in Romans, for instance, and in James, though many people think there were. Martin Luther. I'm not talking about Martin Luther King. I'm talking about Martin Luther, the Catholic monk 
that is the reason that we're not all he is one of the reasons we're not all catholics today because he stood way back hundreds of years ago and he protested against the catholic church and you're it's a catholic church you're not teaching that it's by grace you are been saved and it's by faith alone you're not teaching that and so he protested and because of his the fact that he protested we now have the protestant church today the protestant church and martin luther didn't like the book of james because he said it thought it talked about works too much And he, his, in some of his writings, he just says, I wish the book of James wasn't even in the Bible. That's because his heartbeat was, it's in faith, in Christ, in Christ alone. And he was worried that James is confusing everybody. No, James assumes the gospel. He assumes you have faith because he talks about this faith. What are you talking about? Faith in what? Faith in the gospel, faith in Christ, what Christ has done for you. Now that you are a gospel-believing person, this is how you should live. And so last two weeks ago, we said, when trials come your way, when difficult times come your way, gospel-believing people, they see it as an opportunity to grow. They don't bellyache. They don't have a pity party. They say, okay, God, not why, but what? What is it you're trying to teach me? What is it you want me to do here? What is it that you're trying to get through my thick head about this difficult time that I'm going through? James said that's the way gospel-believing people act. Last, night we continue, last week, we continued just a little bit more in James, and we talked about our interaction and relationship with the Word of God. In, in the end of chapter 1, we talked about, what he, and he says, what gospel-believing, what kind of relationship they have with the Word of God. And they're quick to listen, and they're slow to speak. And we went on and down through there. It says, do not merely listen to the Word, thus de- deceiving yourselves. You do what it says. And James is serious about this stuff. And so he goes to another area now and tells us in chapter 2 what gospel-believing people, how they should act, how people with faith should act, how people that really are believing, really that are leaning hard, really believe. And it's in James chapter 2, verse 1 through 17. And I won't take time to read all of that, but I will a few verses. My brothers and sisters believers in our glorious lord jesus christ so again he this is written to believers you can tell it from the first chapter and obviously from this chapter he's not writing to unchurched people he's not writing to non-believers he's writing to the church he's writing to the church and he says believers in our glorious lord jesus christ he says you must not show favoritism says you must not show gospel believing people do not show favoritism Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy clothes. The word there, filthy, is literally, in the original language, the word there, filthy, is revolting. It's not just dirty, got a stain on it, got a hole in your pants. No, it's not that. It's revolting clothes. Poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you. But say to the poor man, you stand here or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? That little phrase, judges with evil thoughts. Judges with evil thoughts literally means judges who take bribes. 
and judges who take bribes pervert justice. And James is saying, you Christians should be people of justice. You should make things are fair in your communities. You should not be like judges who take bribes and thus pervert justice. And one way you pervert justice is you show favoritism to people that are rich and you ignore people that are poor. And James says, for gospel-believing people, this should not be the case. Look down to verse 14. 14. James 2, 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does do nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And that's what James is harping on. Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied with good works, with good deeds, it is dead. I mean, how more plain can James be? And it's not just, I mean, the Bible says about itself that it's God-breathed word. It's inspired by God. So James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, my faith, my belief, if it is not accomplished, uh, accompanied by works, Mark, it is dead. And that's James's big idea in his little five chapters, or how many of us in here. And he says, Mark, you gospel-believing person, it needs to show in your life or you don't really believe the gospel. And if you really believe the gospel, Mark, it will show up in your life. It can't help but show up in your life. Just kind of like a sheep. A sheep can fall into the pig pen. A sheep can get muddy, but a sheep won't stay there. Because it's not in the nature of a sheep to get muddy. The sheep can make a mistake. The sheep can fall into the pig pen and get muddy and soiled, but you watch the sheep, it will get out of there. A Christian can make a poor choice. A Christian can sin. It can fall into the muck and the mire of of sin, but a Christian will not stay there because he or she has a new nature inside of them that will not allow them to do that. Dr. John Oswald, my Old Testament professor at Asbury Seminary, says, I have been ruined for sin. I have been ruined for sin. I no longer can take pleasure in it. It doesn't mean that I may not fall into the pig pen. I may not make a lousy choice. It does not mean I may not succumb to temptation. But I'm ruined for it. It no longer has pleasure for me. And that's what James says. That's what James says. So James says, what kind of people should we as believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ be? We should be people of justice and people of mercy in those two passages that I just read you. Now, justice gets a bad rap nowadays 
because we think of, of liberal churches that don't believe uh, the Bible and don't preach the cross of Christ and, and they're just out doing good works and doing good social, good, good things, but they're out, that's all they do and they think that's all Christianity is and they don't care what kind of lifestyle anybody has and they don't care how people live their life as long as they're out doing good things. And we say they preach a, a social gospel or they, they're just worried about justice. But as Christians in this place and many other places in God's words, we should be very concerned about justice issues, about fairness issues. Not at all to neglect to the cross of Christ, but as gospel-believing, Bible-believing believers in our Lord Jesus Christ and the work that he did on the cross, we ought to be concerned about justice issues. And so he says, poor man sits on the back, Rich man sits up here. That does not happen among believers. And you've got to go to, to extremes or take great pains to, to make sure among the community of believers, it's good, it happens out in the world all the time. Personal opinion. This has nothing to do with the Word of God. I don't like nameplates for this reason. Personal opinion has nothing to do with the Word of God. For this reason, I don't, I don't like nameplates. I don't like people giving money and there's a wing of the church named after them. Personal opinion, it's not the Word of God. And why don't I like that? Because of this. James says you should, be, you should treat people as fair and, and the community of believers and the way we interact should baffle the world. How the poor get along with the rich and how the rich get along with the poor and the blacks get along with the whites and the whites get along with the blacks and people on that side of the tracks get along with people on this side of the tracks. It should baffle the world because we know that's out there in the world. I mean, we know it is. But in this place, among the community of believers, James said, if your believers in a glorious Lord Jesus Christ do not show favoritism. One great this is so cool. One great example of this is in Acts 6, and some of you remember this and some of you don't, and that's fine. But Acts 6, there was a problem in the early church. There were, there were two types of, of believers, ones that were called Grecian Jews, Jews that their heart language was Greek and they thought like Greek and their culture was Greek, and then the Hebraic Jews that, that they were... They were they were Hebrews. I mean, they thought like Jews all the way back to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And there was these two groups. And the Grecian Jews were complaining in Acts 6 that their widows were getting neglected in the daily distribution of food. As, as the early church was time to take care of the widows and orphans. As they had no social services back then. They had no welfare. They had any of that. So Acts 6 says there was a, the Grecian Jews says we're getting neglected. And this Hebraic Jews, they're getting more than we are. And I don't know why that was. It doesn't say why that is. But you know what the apostles did? It said they, they appointed people. Apostles, first of all, said it, it's, we don't need to be able to wait tables. It says in Acts chapter 6. Uh, it's our job to pray and to teach the word of God. We need to appoint people for the daily distribution. And, the, and it lists several names of who they appointed. You know what I didn't know forever? I read that time and time again. What I didn't know till I dug into that a little more 
every name that a person that they appointed is a Greek name. So these apostles who were Hebrews, these apostles says, we're going to, this group is being slighted. This group feels like they're being marginalized. We're going to appoint Grecian Jews to oversee the daily distribution just so we can make sure that we're not showing favoritism. The interaction among gospel-believing people, black, white, poor, rich, should baffle the world, James says, on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Had a man give me $200,000 one time for the new church I was starting. Wealthiest man in the church. Roy Minogue thanked him for his gift to me. And I said, but sir, you know that because of my position in church and because of your status in the church, I can't hang out with you too much and I can't go to your Sunday school class and I'm not real buddy-buddy with you because I don't want to come under the accusation of playing favorites to the man who has all the money. I didn't go to his Sunday school class. I didn't pal around with him. I never went out to Frisch's with him. Now, he, he gave us $200,000 to secure the property. Another gentleman, another gentleman actually ponied up the money, the $200,000, the most gracious, the most kind. If you ever want anybody to give you money, it was this couple right here. They, they, they didn't want anybody to know about it. I could talk to them all day long because nobody knew anything. But everybody knew this guy had bucks. And I had to model. I had to model for me personally because I have a temptation there and for the church not to show favoritism. There's one huge reason that I don't know what you all give. Some pastors get a report on, on, Sun, on Monday morning and the names of everybody are listed in the amount they gave. And many pastors do that. I don't want to do that because the temptation to play favorites. There's a few times I've had to know that because people that are nominated for our church board have to be tithers. And so there's a few times I, I find some things out and I don't like the way I feel to when I find out that that person wasn't a giver. And it, it, there's a temptation inside this very human person to play favorites and James says gospel believing people don't act that way he also says as gospel believing people we are not only people of justice and fairness not discriminating but we're also people of 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 mercy we're also people of mercy it talks about in verse 14, I've already read it to you. Go ahead and put it back up on the screen, Jeff. It talks about us being people of mercy. Verse, go put 12 and 13 on the screen. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judge, listen, this is strong stuff. James is borne down hard on this. Because justice... Excuse me, because justice without mercy will be shown to anyone 
who has not been merciful. Don't, don't, don't beat around the bush, James. Mercy triumphs over justice. So we should be people of justice, fairness, but also people of mercy. And when mercy is used in the Bible, it's used a couple of different ways. One way that it's used, it's, it's used as just kind and gentle and loving and forgiving of sins one to another. And that's a real general way. But there's another way that it's used in Scripture. That, that a merciful person is, is helps meet the needs of other people. So when, when Bartimaeus, and I've, I've, just, I've taught this passage several times, Bartimaeus said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He wasn't saying, Jesus, son of David, be kind to me. Be gentle with me. Forget what he was saying, forgive my sins. What was this blind Bartimaeus saying? He was saying, I need my needs met. I'm blind. I have a need. The good Samaritan met the guy on the road that had been beaten up. And he picked him up and he put him on his his horse or his donkey or whatever and he took him to a hotel and he he made financial subsidy for him and and he took care of him and at the end of of the good samaritan parable he says this is the man who did mercy now how do you know if mercy is kind gentle forgiving of sins nice which it sometimes is or if it's meeting people's needs you only know by the context you only know by the context context Context, context. Don't pull a scripture out and make it say what you want it to say by the context. And in this context from verse 14, he explains what mercy is. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go in peace, keep warm, well fed, but does nothing about it, about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by the action that I've just talked about in the previous three verses, is dead. I'll pray for you. Put you on a prayer list at church. And there's nothing wrong with that, and that's good. But James says if we have an ability, if we have an opportunity we have an opportunity to somehow help we should do that and if we don't this plain speaking guy says my faith is dead we're trying to do some things as a church to be merciful to people who need help and we mess that up all the time and and some people are just scamming us, and, and I know that. And, and I'd rather mess it up a few times than be too stingy. I'd rather stand before God one day and say, Mark, you, you gave away too much to people who didn't need it than have him stand before me and say, Mark, you were too stingy with my money. And we try hard on that, and we do some things as a church, and we've got to do some more things as a church. But this is not just the church making ways for us as Christians to be merciful. It's us being merciful as we scatter, as we scatter. 
And I don't know what that means. It means something different from Ozzy as, as, as it does for Doc, as it does for Rod, as it does for John, as, as it does for Diane, as it does for Ruby. How is it that we're merciful? And, and we not only say, hey, I'm going to be praying for him, but add you to my prayer list. Be thinking of you. How is it? And I don't know the ways to tell you because I don't know what goes on when you scatter. And I don't need to know what goes on when you scatter. Well, James says a mercy should go on. And if mercy doesn't go on when I scatter, then my faith is dead. Well, how much mercy, Mark? I don't know. Have I done enough mercy, Mark? I don't know. I have zero clue. That's why we rest in the blood of Jesus Christ. But us resting in the blood of Jesus Christ and have faith in that, James says... It comes out in justice and mercy. As you scatter, we're merciful people. And don't come in here and tell me how merciful you were. I have people that come and tell me all the merciful things that they did. Don't tell, you, you take your reward away from you, Matthew chapter 6. You take your reward away from you, Matthew chapter 6. Don't take your reward away from you. Just be merciful. And you don't have to tell anybody that you were merciful. The one who saw you, the one who, you, who, who is watching everything, who knows the hairs on your head, knows you were merciful. Don't come and tell me that you were merciful. Don't deprive yourself of the reward. I might pass you on the back. I might tell the whole church, you got the reward. Would you rather get the reward from Mark or from God? Church, as I pray and walk through these 30 acres or however many we own over here, you know, one of these days we'll have, a, have the need to build another building on that and a new sanctuary on that. We'll, we don't have that need right now. and it, it, It's going to happen one of these days. I don't know when, but there'll be a day that we need to do that. It's not right now. But even if we build a building over there, there's going to be a whole lot of land there's nothing on. It's just green. And I wondered, across from that street down here, I don't even know, is it Rockwell right there? Where people come and they park their cars on our grass that live across there? And we don't care about that. I mean, let them park it. Who cares? I mean. Well, what about a row of Habitat for Humanity houses right there? Where we're being merciful. We wouldn't have to even give away too much of our land to have... I don't know how you do that. The city's got to approve that. I don't know. I don't have any clue how you. But what about a row of Habitat for Humanity houses where we take some people that, that are in, living in bad conditions and we, along with the community, along with business, along with the city, we build a row of Habitat Humanity houses right there. Now, I don't know how to do that. I need somebody to take that idea and run with it. I, I need some retired person who has some knowledge and understanding in that to, to, that has the time to be able to do that, to, to say, I'll make the phone calls. I'll, I'll, oh, I can't do that. Why not? If God puts it on you, you can. I 
And I'm not saying that we're going to have a whole row of a habitat for humanity homes, but I'm saying, wow, that could be a way we could be merciful. I'm not saying God has told me that we're going to have a whole row of I'm not saying that. I'm just saying when I look at that land over there, I'm saying how cool it would be to take some people that are living in poor housing that, that, that for whatever reason are, 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 do not have proper shelter and do mercy to help show people we are a community of mercy. And it's not only us, it's business people and community. And What kind of people should you be, justice and mercy? People. Justice and mercy, people. I've already gone too long. But I have lots more to say. He tells in chapter 3, you know why you ought to be justice and mercy people? Because he says in chapter 3, he says, you should not curse anybody with your words, people that are made in God's likeness. Why should you be justice and mercy people? Because we're just nice people. No, because people are made in the image of God. And they all have innate worth because they're made in the image of God. And how is it that you should do that? You should be people of justice and mercy. You should do it because people are created in the image of God. It, it says somewhere in here, verse 7 of, of chapter 2, verse 7 of chapter 2, talking about rich people, it says, Are they not the ones blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? The noble name of him to whom you belong. Why do we do all that? How can we do all that? We understand our identity in Christ. We understand as gospel-believing people, as adopted sons and daughters of the Lord Jesus Christ who carry his noble name that we think different and we talk different and we act different and we have a new nature and we understand our identity. And as gospel-believing people, we are ambassadors of Christ. We're salt and light. We believe about ourselves who we says we are. We believe him enough to believe the unbelievably good things he says about us. The noble name of the one in whom you belong. And so because our identity is in Christ, we do mercy. I bought like, I mean, I like 40 bags of ice for movie night the other night. I bought them the place and paid for them and went out to get them and I was putting them in here and thought came to my mind well, I could get 50 if I wanted to nobody's watching place is all busy it, it was a Walmart gas station I, I mean I, nobody I mean I went and paid for 40 and nobody's watching I could get 50 if I wanted to and you know the thought that came to my mind that denies who I am in Jesus that denies who I am in Jesus. It is not who I am. It is not part of the noble name of whom I belong. My dad gave me a plaque that had Atherton at the top of it, and it was a poem about the name Atherton, and I always remember you are an Atherton. And if I'm always supposed to remember I'm an Atherton, how much more important it should be that I'm a little Christ, a Christian, a Christian. 
kind of people are we should be people of justice and mercy why should we be people of justice and mercy because people are created in the image of god he says in 3 9 of james and people have the glory of God upon them, no matter how marred, no matter how scarred, no matter how stinking it is, no matter how, how uh, urine-smelled it may smell like, they have the glory of God upon them in some way. And so we're supposed to be people of justice and mercy, and, people, uh, and because of that, the reason we are supposed to be that is because the people are created in the image of God, and how is it we do that? We understand our identity in Christ. The no, James 2, 7, the noble name of whom we belong. The noble name of whom we belong. So when Scott Porter goes off to, to D.C. And, and learns a whole new thing to do, and, and you know, he, everybody wonders, he's not in ministry. No, he walks in D.C. and he believes 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21 that says he is an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And he walks up those steps to that House of Representatives as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Because that is his identity. And his identity is not in a lobbyist. He's an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And even though he may not be able to do that in a, in a, in a um, overt way, he can do it in a covert way. Tough passage. Tough, tough, tough. But God works, speaks once again, doesn't it? And it cuts sharper than any two-edged sword. How is it, church? As individuals and as corporately, we are people of justice and people of mercy. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you and we have really kind of been knocked back at this passage because it's very plain spoken and just nails us up beside the head. And James says that if we are gospel-believing people, that we are people that don't favor one person over the other. And the reason we don't do that is because everyone is created in the image of God. And how we do that is by understanding who we are in Christ. And our identity comes through you and what you've said about it, about us. And we believe that. And we have the audacity, audacity to believe that we are salt and light. We have the audacity to believe that we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We have the audacity to believe that we are adopted sons and daughters. We have the audacity to believe that we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. We have the audacity to believe that we can be forgiven. And we can walk as forgiven people who know that they know that they know. Father, help us. Now, in just the quietness of this moment... If you have a word you need to say to the Father, you need to talk to Him, and somehow in response to His preached word today, would you take a minute and would you do that silently?
Father, help uh, those of us who claim to be gospel-believing people. Help us to know that your word says there is a way that we should act. Help us, help Xenia Church of the Nazarene to baffle this community because of how well the poor get on with the rich and the rich get on with the poor and the black get on with the white and the white get on with the black and, and the people that don't dress well gets on with the people that dress well. And, and, and how well the, 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 the moms accept the unwed moms. And how much the employed accept the unemployed. And how much the employer accepts the one on food stamps. May we baffle the world that we show no favoritism in this church. And I don't really know, Father, how all that works out. And I, I, I don't know, Father. But I know your word says for us not to discriminate. So help us work it out. Corporately and individually as we try to become people of justice and mercy people that are not only kind and loving and forgiving, but people who do mercy. Who do mercy as the Good Samaritan did. Thank you for your time with your word in Jesus' name. Amen.